I want to share a message from the Lord with you today. If you'll stand with me all over the room. As they get the lights, we'll be in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I'll be reading verses 2 through 11. Philippians chapter 2 verses 2 through 11 from the New King James Version. Let nothing, say nothing. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each, or as I said, said it this way last week, everybody. Let everybody esteem others better than themselves. Let everybody look out not only for their own interests, but also for the interests of everybody else. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, or did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus say Jesus Every knee should bow of those in heaven and those in earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning a message I've simply titled, The Mind of Christ. Let's talk about the mind of Christ today. If you will, one more time, bow your heads, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for your presence we've already felt here today. We thank you for every precious person assembled in this room or those online. God, for the next few moments, I ask that you would remove every hindrance that would come against us. Lord, that we would uh, remain still and attentive to your voice, Lord, through the remainder of this service. I ask that you would anoint me, that I wouldn't speak my words, but I would speak your words. And Lord, that every ear would hear your word and every heart would receive your word that you have for this body today. And Lord, we're just going to give you thanks and praise in advance for what you're going to do in and through your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Now, there is no greater reputation than you can have than to be God, right? There is no no more popularity you could possibly garner than the Lord Jesus Christ did by just being the Lord Jesus Christ. But the scripture tells us something very important here. It tells us that Jesus made himself of no reputation. In other words, he made a special point to make it known that he was not better than anybody else. Has anybody ever had somebody act better than you were to you, right? And you know what that feels like. Now, Jesus Christ was Jesus Christ. He was God. He was 100% God and 100% man. However, that is possible. But he was God in the form of a man. But he made a special point to make sure that nobody else thought that he was any better than they were. He made himself of no reputation. He came down from on high, from heaven, and he walked among us. And guess what else he did? He suffered our infirmities. The same 
physical and mental weaknesses that we have, the very same struggles that we have in our flesh, the very same trials, and believe it or not, the very same temptations that we have in our flesh, Jesus Christ came down from on high and he walked among us and he suffered those very same things that we suffered except he did it without sin. And then he went to pay the ultimate price for our sins on the cross. And now in this passage of scripture, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is instructing us to let this mind be in you. This mind of God, this mind of Christ, let it get in you. Let it be in you. And as the church of Jesus Christ, can I tell you today that we need to once again see the sufferings and the needs of the people around us. Can I get an amen? We need to see and recognize the suffering and the needs of the people around us. We cannot keep to ourselves inside these four walls and let our uh, concern be for our four and no more and not worry about those around us. It's time once again for the church, if we're part of the church of the living God, to arise and to be concerned with the needs of somebody besides us all around us. We must make a choice to move toward them, just as Jesus moved toward us. Now, I want to say, in the first service this morning, Michaela Phelps was here, and in this service, Adrian is here. And uh, just a few weeks ago, they had their last outreach in Woodbine. And at, at Woodbine, the outreach ministry of this church ministered to over 61 people who came to be ministered to. We ought to give the Lord some praise for that this morning. That's what we must do. We must move toward them just as Jesus Christ himself moved toward us. But this will involve an entirely new thought process. An entirely new mind. The mind of Christ. Which means we got to stop looking out for our own security and our own comfort. And as Paul says, we've got to consider the interest and the needs of others. We've got to choose to be obedient even if it moves us out of our comfort zone into a place of discomfort and maybe even a place of suffering. And I, I want us to look today of another story in the Word about a, gener, uh, a generation of Israelites who came out of bondage in Egypt and they were an example of those who refused to make the choice that I'm talking to you about today. They refused to make the choice to make a move towards others. And they ultimately decided not to go into the place of promise that God had intended for them. And it was a decision that they made based on self-preservation. Because once again, in this society that we live in today, most all of us are concerned most about us. We're not nearly as concerned about others as we should be. And so I want you to follow with me as you see what this decision uh, on, based upon self-preservation meant to them. They looked at the size of the giants that were in this land. So if you've been in church a while, you know what story we're going to talk about. And they saw the fortifications of the cities, the walls that were built up, that God had told them that those places were going to belong to them. But then out of fear, say fear. Fear will cause you to miss your place in the kingdom. Out of fear, they drew the conclusion that we read in Numbers chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. Here's what the word said there. 
But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. Verse 32. And uh, the land, and they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. So they saw the giants. And they saw the obstacles of this place of promise that God had given them. And they allowed fear to keep them from getting to where God wanted them to be. But can I tell you today that sadly, in every single generation, there are Christians who make that choice. And they end up living their lives and their walk with Christ in a spiritual wilderness. They end up walking around wandering in a spiritual wilderness because though it's not a place of total defeat, they're not still in Egypt in that place of bondage, but they're also not in a place of victory. They've never moved on into the promised land. Their life has no influence. They conquer nothing for God, and they don't operate in the supernatural. They don't operate in the spiritual realm where God would have them to operate. However, in the book of Joshua, we see a new generation that was arising. This generation had been raised in the wilderness, but they were being called by God to go into the place of promise that their forefathers had chosen not to enter. And this generation stepped up, and they made the choice to obey and to fight. I wish to the Lord today that we could get an acknowledgement of this generation that is before us today. I wish the church could see and recognize the newest, latest generation that we have. I want to tell you, they are not looking for church as usual. Are you with me this morning? They are not looking for our programs. They are not looking for our agendas. They are not looking for another production to attend. The world has given them enough options for productions. They can go see concerts. They can go see movies. They can go participate in all of these mass media things that has been made available to them. They're not interested in another production. But I want to tell you something. They're not interested in our agenda either. What our agenda for the church is. But you know what they are interested in? I see it and I recognize it. They're interested in a church that has a genuine authentic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They're interested in a move of God. They're not interested in a formality. They're not interested in another service, but they're interested to be in a place where the chains that bind them can be broken under the power of the anointing of God. They're interested in a move of God. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? Because I see them reaching out for anything and everything they can. I see them looking for every avenue they can find to have a little bit of self-worth in their life. The church has set back complacently long enough and allowed every generation before them to be taken by their influence. But God's looking for a church that will rise up in the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost that will say our agenda is going to the side. Our programs are going to the side because this generation, they're ready to get up and fight for a real move, a genuine move of God. It's not revival just because somebody gave $20,000. Hello. 
It's not revival because we can build big buildings and do nice things. But revival changes the trajectory of an area, of a region. And this generation that we're reading about here, they stepped up and they made the choice to obey and fight. And it's phenomenal when you begin to consider that, in a sense, that generation that we're reading about in Joshua, they were fighting for you and me. They were paving the way so that we could be a part of the move of God today. Uh, They were paving the way for what would ultimately lead to Jesus Christ being born in the promised land. That's where he was born. But of course, after his death and his resurrection, Jesus became our promised land. We don't look for what we need in a physical place anymore. Everything he's promised us can be found in him. Our life, our hope, our mind, our wisdom, our victory, our future... Our provision, everything we need is found in Him. Every promise of God no longer resides in the physical land. It's now found in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, before this generation went in, though, I want us to look at what happened in Joshua chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. And at the time, the Lord said to Joshua, He said, Make flint knives for yourself and circumcise the sons of Israel again, the second time. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the heel of the foreskins. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had came out of Egypt. Now, circumcision was a covenant. I'm not going to get deep into all of the the physical aspects of circumcision. But I want you to understand that circumcision was a covenant practice. And in this case, a whole new generation was committing to God. I could preach a whole sermon on that one word, commitment. We live in a society today that don't want to be committed to anything. We have a generation of people who do not want to be committed to a job. Anybody tried to hire anybody lately? I'm live streaming, or I would talk about an interview we did for our child care center this week. There were quite a few people who interviewed, so if they are watching, they don't know that I'm talking about them unless I told the specifics. So I'm going to refrain from telling the specifics. But I'm telling you, we're in a generation who does not want to be committed to anything. Some way, somehow, folks feel that they are entitled for everything to be given to them. And if they don't like an aspect of the job, they don't have to commit to it. They'll just go somewhere and get it given to them. They'll just go sign up. Boy, y'all are getting quiet. Some of y'all done went and signed up, didn't you? They'll just go sign up for it to be handed out to them. Listen, there's no shame in that if you need it. My daddy died when I was nine years old. My mama worked three jobs and she signed up for assistance. And we we deserved every food stamp we got. But she also worked three jobs and still got that assistance. What's that tell you? We're in a generation who don't want to commit to anything. They don't want to commit to a job. They also don't want to commit to a marriage. 
You make me mad, we'll just part ways. Mm-mm. Angie Disney would have to kill me to try to leave me. I'd run her down. <laughs> I'd hunt her down. I'd be like the scripture. You can make your bed in hell and I'll still find you. <laughs> Why? Because I'm committed. Has it always been easy, Pastor? No, absolutely. It's not always been easy. But we need to learn commitment again. We need to learn commit. We're in a generation who don't want to commit to a church. Mm-hmm. I'll just go where I like what they're doing this week. Boy, it's getting real quiet today. The 845 crowd's turned into the spiritual bunch, and you all done plumb backslid. They'll just go where they like what's going on over here today. I want to tell you something. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches if you don't have a church that you call home, you do not have a spiritual covering. And if you do not have a spiritual covering, you are like an orphan who doesn't have a child. Everybody should belong. If you call yourself a Christian, am I saying it has to be here? No, it doesn't have to be here. I'd love for it to be here. We'd all love for it to be here. But everybody should belong to a church somewhere. That's God's word. That's God's plan in the Bible. Now, so this was a sign. This circumcision was a covenant. And so it was a sign of this whole generation making a new commitment to God. And what they were saying was, our forefathers chose security over your glory. They chose convenience over the glory of God. But we are going to follow you, Lord. We want your glory. That's what this generation is saying today. Don't tell us about the glory. See, that's where we've come to in Pentecost. We like to talk about what used to happen in the church without acknowledging if it's not still happening. The problem's not with God. The problem's with us. They want to see it happen in the church today. And if the church gets to where God wants it to be, they will see it happen in the church today. And so they had to endure the shame, they had to endure the pain, they had to endure the inconvenience, and they had to endure the separation of circumcision. And it began with an exposure, and that exposure was an admission in their hearts, I'm not everything I should be. God's calling me to do more. It's hard for some of us to admit that we're wrong. I point the finger back at me. I said it to me and Abby this morning. Because in the 845 service, because Abby's a lot like her daddy, it's hard for us to admit that we're wrong. Some of you, it's hard for you to admit they're wrong. But there's, there has to be an acknowledgement and an admission in our hearts. We're not everything that we should be, and God's calling us to be more. And I believe that God is also bringing his church into a place of that same reckoning. He's trying to remind us once again what we are supposed to be and how that is vastly different from what we are. Because the reality is that many people, many of God's people, have lived in the wilderness far too long. Are you with me? Many of God's people have lived in the wilderness far too long. They're, they're out of Egypt. They're not in bondage anymore. But they're also not walking in the place that God has promised. They've come out from underneath the penalty of sin. But they've not become what God intended for them to be. They've not conquered the things that God called them to conquer. I've said this before and I'll say it again. Salvation is instantaneous. When you ask the Lord to save you, boom, you're saved. But sanctification is a process. And I'm thankful today that I can look around this room and I can 
see people who didn't give up the first time they stumbled after they got saved. They just went back to the altar and they said, God, forgive me, I've messed up. And they hit the reset button and they started over. I'm glad as long as we're serving the Lord, there's always a reset button. The words the psalmist told us that his mercies are new every single morning. So if you've been having to hit reset and start over, don't give up, don't quit, don't give in, keep hitting reset, keep repenting, keep saying, God, forgive me. And one of these days you'll wake up, you'll find yourself in the promised land, not even struggling or battling the same things you used to battle anymore. But we've reached a point where we've got to acknowledge that the problem's with us. Because if we don't, otherwise we'll just justify ourselves and we'll blame somebody else for the mess that our relationship with God is in. And we'll blame somebody else for the mess that our nation is in. We've got to ask the Lord to give us grace to go further than what other people say is far enough. See, it's, it's, it's different for everybody. I would to God that we would have grace for others like Jesus had for us. Have you ever stopped to consider, what if the Lord had not been graceful to you? And what if He had not shown you mercy? And He had not forgiven you, where would you be today? By the same token, if we're the church that we are called to be, then we should extend grace to others when they're not what we think they are. And let me turn the table on that for just a minute. Let me tell you, if you've got your eyes on a man or a woman of God, I don't care who they may be, it might be me. If you've got your eyes on a man or a woman of God, they will disappoint you. There will come a time you will be disappointed by them. But if you'll make the commitment to let them do this, and you do you and everybody work out their own salvation with the Lord with fear and trembling and keep our eyes on Jesus because after all he's the author and the finisher of our faith and if you'll make that commitment to, to keep your eyes on Jesus you'll walk in the victory that Jesus intended for you to walk in and embracing that separation that they did basically they were saying I'm not I'm going to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ from this day forward I'm committing from this day forward, I'm going to be a follower. That's why water baptism is so important. It's an outward sign of an inward work. And you make that decision that, that's an outward display of your commitment that says, from this day forward, I'm going to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. No more hiding in the closet. We use that term in another way a lot. But there's also a lot of closet Christians in the church today. Some of y'all never talk about the Lord on your jobs, in your workplace, or at school. People wouldn't know you as a Christian unless they went to church with you. Let me take that a step further. Some of them don't think you are a Christian because of the way you do act in those places. Ooh. Hmm. This week, I said to a co-worker about another, not an employee, but another professional in the business that we work in, I said, you know, that person is a, is a firm believer. I know this to be true. And she looked at me and she said, I would have never known that. I would have never thought that. Because when she wants something done, she's mean. And I thought, God, help us. See, Folks, that's why a lot of the world doesn't want to be saved. Because they don't want to be like us, and I don't blame them. 
boy, that gets quiet, doesn't it? <laughs> they don't want to be like some of us, and I don't blame them. But you know what God's saying? God's saying, I'm calling you to make the commitment to be who I've called you to be. And then you do you and let them do them. I'm going to wrap this up quickly this morning. The scripture goes on to tell us in Joshua chapter 5, let's look at verses 11 and 12. They ate the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after, say the day after. The day after they had eaten the produce of the land. I almost titled this message, No More Manna. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna. But they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. See, in the season when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, there was a grace that was covering them that was, that was called manna. It was rained down from God out of heaven, and it was wafers that tasted like, uh, I've heard it or read by commentators that said it tasted like honey, uh, uh, a wafer with honey on it. But it provided them with all of the nutrition that they need, all of the nutrients that they needed to sustain them was in that manna. And it's amazing to think that God gave them this bread from heaven while they were still, stay with me, uncircumcised. They were still not what they should be, but yet God, they had not yet made the decision to go on into the promised land, but yet God was still covering them in grace and mercy. God was still providing for them and raining down provision every day. What are you trying to say, Pastor? I'm trying to say that's why it's important for you to recognize, to let other people work themselves out and you just pray for them. Because while they're not where they need to be just yet, don't you never doubt, God's still raining down grace. God's still raining down mercy and provision on them. And God gave them this bread from heaven while they were still uncircumcised and they hadn't made the decision to go into the promised land. And similarly, each of us are given this incredible same grace when we come to Jesus Christ. And although we're immediately forgiven of our sins, like that, just like snapping your finger, it can be a long time before we decide to actually go in and become what God has called us to be. And in that season, God still rains grace and provision upon us. But nevertheless, there's a time, let me say this, Nevertheless, there's a time when childishness needs to be put away. And we must become mature sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus Christ. There comes a point when the calling and the mind of Christ must become ours again. And the day the Israelites, the very day the Israelites made that choice to go in to the place of promise was the first day they began to eat the food of the land. That was the first meal they had that was not manna. And I, I believe in our day, this would be like going back to what the Bible says a Christian really is. Not what somebody says. What the Bible says a Christian really is. Returning to the truths of the word that somehow have gotten hidden in this self-consumed generation that's chosen to live in the wilderness. I said self-consumed generation because I've told you before, we're in a place where you can't convince anybody that sin is wrong. Because to them, what they do is not sin. And if they don't acknowledge it as sin, there's no need for them to ask forgiveness. But we need to return to the truth of God's Word. And the truth of God's Word is if this book, as much as I love you, and as much as I want you to go to heaven with me, and as much as I want you to be happy in your relationship with and your attendance to this church, if this book says it's sin, as much as I love you, there's nothing I can do to help you out with that except stand on the word that says it's sin. If this book says it's sin, it's sin. And there's nothing we can do and no way we can sugarcoat it to change that. All we're doing is deceiving people. 
Unless we return to the truth of the Lord's word. My, I hear the witness of the wind. Praise the Lord. When we make the choice to cross into the place that God is calling us to, suddenly the old food of the land becomes available to us again. We stop talking about what used to happen in the church. And we start experiencing what we've heard talked about and seeing the move of God. Is anybody hungry for a move of God today? Is anybody hungry for a move of God today? We see in the Bible, and I'm going to wrap this up. The first thing that happened after the Israelites began to eat the food of the land was that Jericho fell. They didn't have to do anything except march around the city and shout. But God gave them a marvelous victory over a fortified place that was declaring dominance over the promised land. I want to tell you, in this day we live in, there's many strongholds that we have in our society. There's many strongholds that we have in our city and in our culture. And I believe that all of those things uh, that are going on have gone too deep for any kind of human response to adequately deal with it. Uh, I told them this morning in the 845 service, division. I've never seen division in the church over, over politics than what I've seen nowadays today. And I believe that's gone so deep that there's no human intervention or human response that can adequately deal with it. What we need is a divine response from God and a divine intervention. And you know how God does that? You know how God releases that? He does it through His people. He ties the work of his hands to you and me. And that's why Paul said, and he charged us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because when we get his mind in us, say in me, then we'll see a divine intervention take place. Now listen, I'm not going to suggest to you that eating the food of the land is going to be easy. The early church knew this. And churches in some of the persecuted countries around the world today, Christians in Afghanistan know this eating the food of the land is not going to be easy in America we have largely chosen as Christians to live our lives and our Christianity in the wilderness we've made that choice not in bondage anymore but not yet to where God wanted us to be but I don't believe that we really have that option anymore I believe we are living in a do or die moment for the church of Jesus Christ as we know it. I believe it's a do or die moment. I know you've heard it preached all your lives that we're living in the last days. But I want to tell you, if we are not living in the last days, I don't want to be here in the last days. I believe it is a do or die moment. What do you mean by that, Pastor? If they'll come to the music today. I hope and pray that you are seriously considering the calling of the Lord upon your life. Because every single one of us, every single person in this building has a calling from the Lord on your life. Yours is different than mine. You can't do mine for me and I can't do yours for you. But I pray that you're seriously considering the call of God on your life because I am. Jesus shed his blood and he gave his body on that cross for us for every single one of us and the scripture tells us that we are called to deny ourselves take up our cross and follow him and I want to tell you we can't put that away or put that in storage 
from God's word. We can't sugarcoat it. We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Folks, we don't know what tomorrow may hold. Some of us may suffer in the days ahead. We don't know. But I want you to always remember that even if you consider, hear me today, even if you consider yourself weak, you are mighty through God. I don't care what the enemy's told you. I don't care how he's fought your mind and told you you're worthless and you've fallen too many times, you've failed too many times. I don't care what he may speak to you. I want you to know today, even though you might consider yourself weak, you might consider yourself worthless, you might consider yourself hopeless, but I came to tell you today, I stopped by to tell you, through Jesus Christ, you are valuable, you are worthy, you are worth it, and you are mighty in God through him you'll stand with me all over the room today we must yield to him and trust him for the grace to get up and go forward to move forward and understand that Jesus has an incredible plan for our life every single one of us in this room today all his power and life that he has you have to allow it You have to allow it to flow through you. Let this mind of Christ be in you. I'm going to close with this passage of scripture today. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. But the natural man, our nature, our human nature. The natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Paul said this, he forms the question, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we, that's you and I, have the mind of Christ. See, our carnal nature doesn't know how to receive things from the Spirit of God. Our nature, it's our natural instinct to just reject it, to, to put it away. But when we allow the Spirit of God to transform our minds, the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act and react, we begin to see things the way He sees things. Listen to me, church. Listen to me. We need the mind of Christ. For only when we have the mind of Christ will we begin to sense the heart of Christ. And when we sense the heart of Christ, we'll begin to have the eyes of Christ. And when we have the eyes of Christ, we'll see those around us the way Jesus intended for us to see them. And it's then and only then we can accomplish what he has for us. And you know what that is? To be the hands and the feet of Christ. When we allow God to change us first, all of us could use a little change. When we allow God to change us first, then we will begin to see him change those around us it's my prayer that next week I hope we see him change somebody today like he did last week we had two saved and one rededicated last week praise the Lord and the one that rededicated is back this morning I'm so glad to see Jessica and her family back there so thankful but I pray that I pray we see that today but I pray we see it next week 
I pray we bring the lost because if we don't get them here, God can't minister to them. But if we get them here, God can minister to them. And I want to see Him change the rows around us. But we got to allow Him to do a change in us first. So that's what this altar call is about today. And if you've not accepted Jesus before, don't leave this place without accepting Him or, or coming back to Him today. But this altar call is also for all of us. God, change us because when you change us first, then we will see you change those around us. God, give our.